Recording is on. This is the start of the Connor Chetnik podcast, and I'm lucky enough to have my good friend Ariel Granite come on today. You've been on uh, all my podcasts, from the Binbucker podcast to the Not For Everyone <laughs> podcast, essentially the same podcast, but uh, we're changing the name now. So Ariel, thank you very much for coming on today. Happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm always happy to be on this. My favorite podcast. <laughs> I appreciate that. We got a fan right out the gate. <laughs> well, yeah. So the first thing I wanted to talk about today, start on a positive note, Wednesday, getting through the week. What are some things you're doing in uh, your life to stay sane, stay active, stay happy, stay healthy? So some things that I'm doing to stay sane are yoga, you know, trying to stay physical. Um, I try to do work that I love. So just really trying to guide, you know, every single thing in life that I do to uh, go to the ultimate goal of like what I know is going to make me feel good. Um, and then to stay healthy, I'm trying this whole food plant-based diet, which has been a time. It's been a time, but I definitely feel better. So it must be working somewhat. <laughs> How about you? I'm happy to dive in, but tell me more about the plant-based diet. Um, and real quick, like I've kind of gone on like the meat diet, tried to eat like grass-fed meat, but I was reading a book called Born to Run. Uh, I think it was by Christopher McDougall. Um, I might've messed up the last name, but in it, it talks about uh, these people in Mexico who essentially are like ultra marathon runners and, and they don't, um, all they eat is corn and they don't actually like compete in ultra marathons. Um, but it's like a fascinating tribe. It's a fascinating book. And like, they literally live off corn and kind of a plant-based diet. And inside that book, he talks about if you want to be a runner, uh, like a plant-based diet, it's easier for your body to process. And I think there's no one size fits all solution, but I'm really interested to hear, um, more about your diet and how it's working for you and what you're doing. Yeah, it's, Definitely, you know, it's interesting to say it's not a one size fit all because it, it's very true. You know, like for me, I have severe Crohn's disease and like my doctors my entire life since I've been diagnosed have told me to eat, you know, no vegetables, basically very little fruit, very little fiber in general. Like they told me just to stay like with white bread, cheese, meat, all that. And so for me, like this diet is supposed to just really help heal because I'm also using something that's very similar to like chemotherapy and I have to do it every four weeks. And so that in itself takes such a hard impact on my body and it's a bandaid, you know, like most medicine because Crohn's disease is not something that's like medically curable. They use band-aids that really help ease the pain, but they don't forever stop it. And so what this diet's supposed to do, or at least what I'm hoping if I really, you know, stick to it is it's supposed to heal it instead of just put a band-aid so you know so far i definitely feel off like you know i miss frappuccinos i miss <laughs> i miss <laughs> red bulls i miss all of that but at the same time like the idea of feeling better and not waking up in the morning in pain and like you know being able to live my life like a normal person like that is just so exciting. So, you know, hopefully it goes well. <laughs> I'll keep you updated. Definitely. Um, you never know. Cause everybody's different, but hopefully my body is paired to this. 
Well, I think you bring up such a good point in the fact that a lot of modern medicine today would rather give people a Band-Aid. Um, and it almost goes back to incentive structures. It's like the whole medical field. And uh, th there are some amazing doctors out there. I'm not a doctor. I, but it seems like so many cures are to just put a Band-Aid on something and not actually solve the problems. You got to keep coming back. And uh, it's amazing that they would recommend something like white bread, which is like, it's like crap like it's literally a processed food when they make that bread they take all the nutrients out you know they and the reason they do that is because it lasts a lot longer if you take out you know you de-germify it but the problem is if you de-germify it all the nutrients in that that bread it's just empty calories and uh i've seen i mean i'm like i said not a doctor i, I don't take my advice on this anonymous whoever <laughs> might be watching this but you see these threads and just people talking about how uh, like our teeth and so many issues just stem from the fact we have processed sugar, processed breads, all this processed crap. They put vegetable oil, soybean oil and everything. And uh, if you were to give like processed bread or processed sugar to someone way back in the day before it became a mainstream thing, like, I, I mean, it would almost be like giving someone cocaine. Like if you gave them sugar, like it, they would just be so full of energy. So and our body just becomes used to it over time. Um, but so many modern day diseases and problems, um, I think stem from all the craft they put in our food and the fact that everything's processed and it's not natural and it's not organic. And, uh, it's like, they don't want you dead, but they don't want you healthy. They want you in that sick thing. So you keep coming back and getting these band-aids that never actually cure your sickness, but, keep you uh going enough to come back later on no literally and they don't teach i mean like for a lot of people that i've spoken to that are very knowledgeable like in this field a lot of doctors are never even taught that much about nutrition like you know like and you're right in that especially with the regulation and the way that we go about pushing food like with the meat industry and stuff like that you know when you talk about protein, for instance, like the meat industry doesn't use the word meat when they refer to it. They have to use protein because meat is just pumped with so many chemicals that it's not pure. And yes, I was grocery shopping today buying some ground beef and it said 85% ground beef product. So I bought the one that was like grass fed. Um, but, but even then, like I, it's, it's so hard. To, and like, what, like, <laughs> what the hell are they putting in this meat that they that they can't legally call it like meat like why, why can't we just have meat why do why do we need meat product or meat pro like like what is that it's uh, it's just uh, it's the system that's just really really stuck on money and stuck on you know mass production that is easy rather than healthy and productive and you know like I'm not going to reference any specific chicken production companies because working in the animal field, it, I can't do that. But um, with the team, <laughs> exactly. it's, it's, you know, the mass producers of chicken, for instance, pump their chickens so that they are fat. And what do they pump them with? Chemicals. And it's just like we support that then we continue to support it and support it and support it by saying, oh, well, you know, they're also making it 
a little bit better for you in this way. But like, no, everyone's living like all these animals are living in small enclosed dark boxes that just are full of issues and chemicals. And like, it's not even just our food. It's also some medicine as well, which is a little tangent. But like, I don't know. Have you ever heard of a PMU horse? Mm-mm. Okay, so Pfizer um, created in like the 1950s, 1960s, a one of the first kinds of pills for menopause. And the main ingredient in that pill was what i'm just confused why why we need a pill for menopause like that's a natural like <laughs> i'm not a woman i, I don't know uh but <laughs> I'm, i didn't mean to interrupt you i'm just like yeah why are they creating a pill for menopause what, what good does that do well just wait until you hear what's in it they keep horses pregnant for as long as they can live and they make them stand for six months at a time and suck their urine to then put that as the main ingredient in the menopause pills, which was killing horses, completely, you know, animal abuse issue, but even bigger was it was making women sick and giving them cancer and having so many issues. And listen, Pfizer, you know, has done some okay things and they've done the vaccine and they've definitely improved themselves since that very, very, very late time but there are still companies that do it it's still happening in places in canada like the fact that it's all around us in so many different ways from food to medicine you know it's just like the way that we put things and the way that we conduct our making of them is just it's scary (laughs) yeah i'm gonna hold my tongue on pfizer because i don't know if big brother's watching (laughs) (laughs) I think when we get to a point where genuine people, especially doctors like Robert Malone, Peter McCullough, people who just want to make their patients healthier, aren't able to question or um, have open discussion about the science. When people just want to say, this is it, the science can't be debated. That's got to be the most anti-scientific thing I've ever heard. I mean, the whole scientific method is forming a hypothesis, testing, coming up with a conclusion, analyzing, forming another hypothesis, testing, analyze, you know, conclusion. Like it's just a rinse and repeat cycle. And uh, I think it's very dangerous. You know, you touched on money when the incentives of these massive organizations uh, get tied in with politics, I'll just leave it to politics and you know i i don't know what happens behind closed doors but i think it's a very scary situation when you have a broken incentive structure and uh it's, it was very scary I, it seems like the pendulum is swinging back and to the side of uh less censorship which is which is good to see but i mean i mean the past two years you know if, if you just look at how, how many people uh pass from it like it's so unfortunate but just listen to Peter McCullough or, or, you know, talk about it. He's like, we could have saved so many lives if we just did early treatment. And I understand it was an incredibly uh, quickly evolving situation and we didn't understand, but it just seems like they could have done such a better job open sourcing it, allowing doctors to talk, considering all options rather than a one size fits all solution, you know, in the form of 
for everyone and then demonizing those who didn't get it or you know ha had uh reasons whether it be religious i mean you know, whatever reason um it, it just seems ridiculous that something like that could be mandated like that's you're right it's, it's an incredible feat of science that they were able to get a vaccine out so fast but it seems like the science got abused the second they said this is what it is everyone has to get this and if you don't get it and now the fact that people can still catch, I mean, Camilla Harris, you know, double boosted and she, she, she just got it again. And, uh, it just stuff just doesn't seem like it's adding up in the, in a lot of cases. And I think it has to do with the broken incentive structure. Well, it's a pattern in society. I mean, this isn't, here's the thing. Like I, just from my own experience, you know, and I've had COVID now, I was told by my doctors that like, you know, if I had gotten COVID in this vaccine, when the vaccine first wasn't out, like they were like, if you get COVID, there is a chance that you will die. And I was like, okay, great. Um, and now that I have the vaccine and I have the booster, like, you know, I was definitely sick, seriously sick, but I didn't die. So at least I don't know which part of it it was, but at the same time, you know, like you are completely right that like, Firstly, we don't give preventative care in any way for any shape or form part of our society. We don't do it with food. We don't do it with health care. And we don't do it, you know, in any type of social structure right now. Like, that's not what we do. We don't do it with, you know, reformative care as well for, you know, like the prison system. Instead, we're based on like, oh, let's fix it after. Or, you know, like with the vaccine and stuff like that, too, if we're not going to prevent it and then we're going to expect everyone to just be like, okay, well, I guess we should trust the fix up after again, after all of these other systems have been broken and broken and completely just warped. Like that is just so confusing. And. Uh, oh yeah. And not only are they not, you know, doing preventative stuff, but they're also, or they, they were, they were actively demonizing other medications. You know, I'm reading uh, the real Anthony Fauci by Robert Kennedy Jr who spent his whole life like trying to fight big pharma and uh, these companies polluting the environment, I believe. Um, and he talks about it in it, you know, I mean, you, you, if you just, anyone who watched the mainstream media, they call it hydroxychloroquine, which has a very uh, um, well-known risk profile. It's very safe, apparently. They, they demonized that as bleach when Trump took it. And then Joe Rogan took ivermectin. And I'm not sure the efficacy, like I guess I'm not a doctor, I, I don't know. But the fact that they would demonize those things after they had been well known and had been used multiple times to call it bleach, horse dewormer. I mean, it, uh, I'm thinking of the DeSantos bills too, how they call it the don't say gay bill. It's like whoever these people are to mislabel things. That is why I'm like, why can't you just call it as it is? Like I'm not, not even debating like the merit of them or if it was right or wrong for any of those things. But it's so frustrating for me personally to see stuff get mislabeled and misconstrued to try and push an agenda or a bias. And maybe those things weren't right. Like maybe they weren't as effective, but people should be able to test that. People should be able to see and people should be able to discuss ideas openly without having words and meaning shift to push an agenda or a narrative or a bias, whether it be in politics or healthcare. Uh, it, it's so frustrating to see people twist and manipulate words to further their own agendas. No, I mean, like whether it was 
it, the thing is, is whether it's right or wrong with what they're doing, you know, like I have my own opinions on that bill and like, you know, whatever people choose to do though, it should never be misconstrued. And then that misinformation spreads and it's true, you know, like then people are saying, well, Joe Rogan took horse dewormer. No, like, you know, you really need to specify exactly what's going on. A Nobel Prize winning drug, like whoever found that drug won a Nobel Prize for that. And amen, like same thing. Like I'm not saying whether that bill was right, like, but exactly what you said. It's not about what's in the, it's the fact that they would label it as a don't say gay bill to push off. And, you know, it's like debate them on the ideas of the bill, point out what is wrong with the bill, like, but do not label it a certain thing to and especially with like social media, it's like that stuff spreads like fire and people are still referring to it as uh i mean all like they still refer to ivermectin as the horse dewormer in a lot of cases they still refer to hydroxychloroquine as bleach they still refer to that bill as don't say gay um and <laughs> it's like when words and meaning start getting manipulated like that i i mean we, we talked about atlas shrugged on the bedmucker podcast like it it uh it's usually not a good sign for society and we need to bring back uh, clarity and open debate and fair discussion and uh, chill with the censorship. Well, I feel like also, you know, like the human brain is been conditioned to really like shortcuts and people really like generalizations and they like putting things under a label because if they're not under a specific or a general label that they can really group and understand, then it's, it's not worth it for them. And so, you know, like I just in misinformation in all. This generalization of a situation reading almost like a headline that then you have no idea what's in that headline. You know, you don't understand every single piece of the detail that makes it what it is. And it's so frustrating when then you're right, like that information spreads like wildfire in social media. People continue to boost it up and they think that what they're saying is fact and it's not because they themselves didn't even take the time. They probably watched a 15 second TikTok video. And it's just, it's very, it is frustrating to see because it is hurting our world in a lot of ways and it's misconstrued what facts are and people are fighting over misinformation all sides and it's just crazy i think you bring up such a key point and it seems like the reason the misinformation spreads so fast is because people construe these words to evoke an emotion right like most people don't take the time, like the key point, people like shortcuts and we want to cut to the chase and we want to just, our time preference is just getting higher and higher. So the incentive structures of the world tend to lead mainstream media to try and invoke that reaction rather than discuss the merit of ideas. And, and you're right, the brain will find an excuse to justify whatever our reasoning is if it wants, like we're brilliant, but we're also so stupid as yes. humans, you know, you know, and, uh, yeah, we just, we, we got to do everything we can to get back to a standard where ideas are debated for their merit, where people are rewarded for the merit of their work, not for other reasons. And with misinformation, it's a fine line because, uh, 
we shouldn't be allowing hate speech or death threats or stuff like that on social media. Like when I say the censorship needs to end, I'm not calling for allowing people to issue death threats or, you know, post genuinely like, like, I mean, death threats is probably the best example. Like I'm not calling for, to allow social media companies to allow death threats, but almost everything else is like, what we need to be doing is teaching people to think critically so they can understand that words on a screen are not everything and that the person writing said words on a screen might have a bias or an agenda behind those words or a reason for construing things a certain way. And, you know, truth be told, no side is, I mean, even like in stuff I write every day, it's like, I think Bitcoin will lead to a world of abundance and peace and prosperity but maybe I am blinded by how much I love Bitcoin. And I think it's apparent on my writing. Like I am taking the perspective of someone who genuinely believes in this tech. And I like to think it's because I want to see a world of abundance, of truth, of prosperity, of critical thinkers, of people with low time preferences who are rewarded for doing the right thing. But it seems like in today's society, we're incentivizing all the wrong things, like having a high time preference, screeching at people who might have a different opinion than do who actually thought critically about that opinion. And uh, it's, it's like, it's like the people of the world are having a psychological operation run on them by so many different actors. And uh, it's like room for conversation and nuances dying as more and more people get pushed out to either the left or the right. And then typically the farther down those rabbit holes you go, you get farther construed to those sides and then you don't want to hear anything from the other side. And, uh, personally like i said i'm biased i think bitcoin is this beautiful thing sitting in the middle where it's like i don't give a shit about your politics i don't give a shit about some narrative it's like i want to get the world to a world of abundance technology can make us all prosper allow us to do what we want and uh the longer we have a broken system with broken incentive structures the longer there's going to be pain, suffering, and misery in this world. And, and you can never get rid of all those things, but you can do a hell of a lot to alleviate them and uh, spread love. I agree 40,000% with all of that. I think, you know, my only question is in a world, like we'll use the example of Elon Musk's Twitter. Um you know, when we have no restriction on speech, which I think is going to be both incredible and also very, it will be very interesting because we do have these really polarized extremes right now. And on every social media platform, even with the restrictions, they will go at each other no matter what. And it could be, you know, something as little as something, you know, like it could be very, very little circumstance that can cause someone or millions of people to go after a group. And so it's like how in a free speech world, especially, is it going to go? Maybe it will just balance itself out after time. If they just keep going at each other enough, maybe then it will kind of like calm them down. And after a while, there'll be some sort of, I don't know. But it's something that definitely makes me wonder, you know, like what, will truly happen and will people be able to have civil conversations uh, sans if it's something that is you know racist sexist like anything that is really wrong to say but if it's something that's more of an opinion that isn't harmful to anyone it, i'm 
wondering how do we get people to handle it in a respectful way that's productive. Yeah, I think I think it's a really fine line because even in your example, like I don't think being racist, sexist, or any of those things is good. But it, it's almost like when you start censoring that, the problem becomes like who decides, and, and that's why I said it's almost like only death threats are. And maybe there's something else. Maybe I'm missing. You know, we're in the middle of a podcast. Like maybe I'm missing something off the top of my head. But it seems like that that fine line when it's like, oh well, this is like just so clearly bad. We got we got to get rid of it. Um, I think you start getting into this territory when it's like, all right, whoever whoever gets chosen to be the arbiter of truth starts having their bias and agenda, whether or not they mean for it to creep in and censor that stuff. And, you know, my first thought is, well, people can block each other and they, they can mute them and they can just not engage. Um, but but truth be told, the, the problem with that is then, you know, people go down these echo chambers. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'm in some Bitcoin Twitter echo chamber. Like, I, I really do try and make an effort to uh, see it from other sides and see different perspectives. Um, but I, I think it's kind of one of these things where it's like you, you just got to let these people be. And sure, some people might go at each other's necks on online, but I, I think the critical thinkers will take opinions from both sides, you know, uh, like I love listening to Trevor Noah. I loved his book. Um, I don't agree with his politics, to be honest, but like I appreciate the fact he's funny and and I do like watching what he has to say because it, it expands my perspective and he points out the humor in it. And and I'm not Republican by any means. I just these past two years I've been very turned off from the left from some of the things I've been seeing online. Um, and, and maybe that's because I'm in the Bitcoin Twitter rabbit hole and like I get this echo chamber. But I, I think there, there's no perfect way to do it. But I think the, the, the most minimal censorship to the point where like you are only censoring the people who are either posting like, I guess, like torture videos or death threats or like j just absolutely egregious stuff like that is the only stuff that should be censored. And then giving people the tools to like block, mute, whatever people. So if they don't want to engage with the side, um, they don't have to. And then, and then I, I think it just becomes, you know, the critical thinkers will try and follow as big an of an audience as possible. And uh, those who are set in their ways, it's like, you know, I, I love the, uh, it's like, yes, I want to get everyone hooked on Bitcoin. But truth be told, there are just some people who aren't willing to make the change, whether they're older and, and they've liked how the system is, whether they just are a Luddite, whether, you know, for whatever reason, for so, why someone might not want to uh, go down that you can't save everyone. And, and it's like the harder you try and push them to get them to think the way you think, a lot of times you just push them out in the opposite direction. So, so yeah. there is no perfect uh, workaround to fit to fix those those problems. Yeah, I guess it's interesting because I, you know, death threats absolutely. But then, like you know, you think of like for me, like when I did TikTok stuff. I would get sexually harassed. I'd get, you know, threats of people trying to come and like rape me, you know, like I had so much stuff that would go on. And for me, those guidelines or like, you know, people would take a video of me, take my face and then put my face on something and then sell it on OnlyFans. And like, you know, stuff like that is like where I get worried about where the boundary is. But at the same time, you know, like, maybe that kind of stuff will stop when people are able to really 
just get in on free speech and like get in on dialogue maybe more and understanding perspective maybe it will create a different dynamic instead of feeling like they're controlled and they just like they feel more engaged to do that i don't really know you know like that's where it gets tricky in that space but at the same time like you know for me like i am a trevor noah person but at the same time <clears throat> There are some like extremisms there and so it's like even that like being able to have just an open conversation and engage it and not feeling in any way shape or form like you're being attacked but that critical thinking growing that's what my hope is for this type of platform because hopefully like the platforms that we have right now are making kids brains grow smaller you're absolutely right like it's shrinking our attention it's shrinking our want to do things we're stuck in a world that doesn't really expose us to wanting to make ourselves better in a way that's actually better for us. And so hopefully with that critical thinking realm in the free speech, you know, it will just create more of a society that wants to contribute to it and that wants to engage more with each other in a way that's productive. Amen. And I'm sorry you had to deal with that harassment online. I mean, yeah, I really didn't even think about it that much, but but you're right. I'm sure a lot of women get targeted with shit like that, and like that, that's so like it, it's like like it's it's just a visual reaction. Like I almost want to laugh. Like who the hell is spending time to crop your face and someone else's body to then sell it up? Like like that's where we're at as a society. And and I'd almost argue it just goes back to the incentive structures of everything. Like we need platforms that encourage critical thinking and. uh I'm not saying Twitter does that because it, it's algorithm. I, I, I don't even know. <laughs> my, I think my, my friend Bondi said it really well. He's like, Twitter makes you two times smarter and four times more unproductive. And, and it's like, <laughs> that's all social media. I mean, it's like candy for our brains, right? It like gives us these dopamine hits. And it's like, keep coming back, keep coming back for more. I want more, 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 more. Like whatever platform you use, TikTok, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, like whatever platform you use, they're all trying to optimize to get as much of your attention as possible so they can yeah. filter you ads. And the more attention you give them, the better these algorithms get at filtering you stuff and keeping you more and more addicted. And uh, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I completely agree. I think we'd have less people literally using their time to crop women's faces on other women's bodies if we didn't live in a system where everyone was so addicted to their phones you know uh, i joined a gym recently just because it was like in the same building as my work and you know i go in the sauna every morning before work and I, I see people on their phones and i'm like thinking to myself like and i'm not judging these like like i'm on my phone way too much myself but it's amazing how much time like people spend on their phone and like you, you can't even detach from it in the sauna. And honestly, like part of me is like, I just think my phone would overheat. Like, I don't think it's good for my phone. But another part of me is like, the sauna is like a great, it, for me personally, like, I love it. Like detoxing and like sitting in there it just feels good. And uh, it, it amazes me that people feel the need to have their phone and scroll social media when they're, in the sauna, like that is how addicted we are as human beings. We bring our phone in the damn sauna because we like it so much. And it, it, I mean, software engineers get paid a lot of money to get us addicted to these apps. I mean, that 
they're all companies. They all have bottom lines. They have a fiduciary responsibility. These massive platforms, they're all publicly listed, Twitter, Snap, Facebook, which obviously owns Instagram. And they just want to spending as much time. And uh, I just think the ad model has gotten so broken on social media. Like it's crazy to think we have all these incredible social medias solely because anywhere from 0.1 to 1% of the time will click an ad on their platforms, uh, which will help someone else grow. And it's unfortunate too, because small businesses now uh, can get decimated if the algorithm changes on these platforms or if, if they like, I don't, you know, it's like, I'm not a small business owner, but if I open one, you know, I've been thinking about it. It's like, I don't want to have to be reliant on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat for customers. And, and I guess you could argue like, oh, well, if you build something valuable enough, people will come. Like, I, I don't know. Part of me is like, I, I'd love to just open like a little stand-up shop and offer coffee and like <laughs> maybe have it like at nighttime, people can get like cannabis or alcohol and consume and, do whatever they like. I don't know. And I'm sure, you know, on the one hand, it's like, great. I could use social media, my own platform to, to boost or set idea for like this little stand up comedy, libertarian coffee shop idea. I'd love to have. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like sad that under the ad model, um, I'd probably have to take out ads and I really wanted to build a, it just seems like the barriers to entry to building a small business are getting higher and higher and you're having to deal with uh, mega corporations that you didn't have to in the past. No, I mean, it's, it's really, it's an influencer world now. And it's a, it, social media is so sneaky in that, you know, like it is very dependent for you to be a successful business right now unless you already have had, you know, a great customer base to go onto social media and connect with influencers or connect with other big brands. And it's all kind of like a monopoly game. And I think, you know, where it gets really sad is when, you know, for me again, like I run an animal welfare organization and I work with a lot of rescues who are struggling extremely because fundraising right now physically is not super possible and social media is the only way to do fundraising and it, that's like really successful and so for me then what I've tried to do to help them because you know if you can't beat social media I try to just understand it and like get into it but it is still like so hard because then I have to run them through you know okay so this is how you have to fundraise online this is also how you have to go and engage followers and these people are spending every single day saving these animals and doing such incredible work. So like for them to then have to go off and spend an extra five hours just working on trying to sell themselves so that they can get money to continue to do what they're doing. It's so tricky, but then it's also hard because that's what they have to do. And so that's where it's like, <sighs> we're in a, in a very stuck place right now with how dependent business rescues nonprofits, just everything is dependent on social media and what it's doing. It's become a social media world. No, you're right. And uh, the nonprofit thing, it's like people can be vicious online, especially uh, some of these anonymous accounts. And like, don't get me wrong, there are some absolutely hysterical anonymous Bitcoin Twitter accounts that like crack me up. Um, and, and I really do appreciate their content. But at the same time, I think someone who's trying to, who has a genuine cause in mind, um, 
could get attacked by just random anonymous counts online for whatever, for literally just like, just because, and, uh, and then they might lash back, which, which is obviously the worst thing to do in some of these scenarios, because there's no winning that fight. Right. It's like, it, there's no winner in an in internet battle. In most cases, most people just end up worse off and, uh, they, they might've had like the most genuine, like they really wanted to make a difference. And then they get jaded because an anonymous account. Um, and, and let me say, this is not like, I, I love my Bitcoin Twitter pleb accounts. I'm not, a matter of fact, I think what they do is very important in terms of like keeping the world economic forum from trying to pass some BS along like they just did with, with a video of, uh, why Bitcoin should change to proof of stake, which I actually just wrote a piece on today. If anyone wants to check out my medium, that is literally like a whole essay analyzing how switching from proof of work to proof of stake would just absolutely decimate the whole value prop of Bitcoin. And at the surface, you know, they, they try and make it seem like, oh, we're trying to help the environment. We're trying to combat climate change, combat climate change. But truth be told, it's like, as I see it, Bitcoin is the only way we get to a renewable energy standard. You know, it's like electric cars are great in theory if we can have enough nuclear power and hydropower to provide electricity. But realistically, it seems like solar and wind uh, can't provide enough reliable energy yet, not to mention to make like the wind turbines is incredibly carbon intensive. So we need to be working on hydro and nuclear power. And Bitcoin is a buyer of last resort as we, uh, you know, it's like it literally de-risks the capital put towards building out this green energy infrastructure. And, and like what I mean by that is say me and you wanted to start an LLC and go make uh, a nuclear reactor. or I don't know if that's a good example. We wanted to go make a green energy infrastructure type facility and we were worried hey you know if we pull our money together say we were we were millionaires and we pulled our money together to build this we'd be worried about losing the capital and under a bitcoin standard it becomes much less risky because bitcoin miners can soak up any excess energy that the grid might not demand great example of that is el salvador and uh, what they're doing with the volcano and using the geothermal energy to build out the grid for the city but also to mine bitcoin so when the city needs that energy, you give it to the city, but then when it doesn't, you mine Bitcoin. And the proof of work, the fact that someone had to use energy is what makes it so censorship resistant, uh, like so perfect. I mean, like what makes it such a perfect system? And, and what crushed me about that world, I could not say crushed me, like I, I've kind of dunking on it, if you will. <laughs> but like, well, what amazed me, what was like, how can they be serious is, you know, they're like, well, Ethereum's about to transition to proof of stake, but Ethereum hasn't even successfully made the transition to proof of stake. And they've been talking about going to proof of stake for, I think, like over five years now. So it's like, they don't even have a tried and true method to get there. But, but at the same time, it was very discouraging to see they didn't even address the, the whole reason why it is proof of work. And then uh, I, I saw someone did tweet out and, and I put it at the bottom of my media post. They, they said a non-Western view. They literally labeled it a non-Western view. I'm thinking to myself, like, we both come from Western democracy, like at the ethos of what the United States is. I believe in that with all my heart. I think capitalism can be good in a lot of ways. I think when capitalism breaks down is when the separation of powers break down 
and uh, the free market capitalists and government start colluding to just destroy and decimate the competition. Um, it's, it's, that was that was a long tangent, but <laughs> it's, it just seemed very intellectually dishonest to try and say Bitcoin's bad for the environment and it's going to raise the carbon emissions in the world. When it's like Bitcoin is a buyer of last resort for energy, thus it de-risks any capital put up towards green energy infrastructure. And we should be working on those things. It's not like I want to see the planet die, but I, I just don't see how we get to, you know, it's like the, it's like an Atlas Shrugged. It's like, we're, we're not going to get there if we just want it to happen. Like reality, the, the law of thermodynamics is a bitch and we can't change it. You know, if someone shoots me with a gun, that bullet is going through me. There's nothing I can do. Thanks to Kevlar or something, but like, you, you can't change the laws of thermodynamics and uh it, it's ridiculous like to see some of the policies being put in place without thinking through the second and third order consequences of trying trend to transition off fossil fuels too quickly well here's my problem with you know how we're going about climate change in the u.s at least still is that you know a lot of the greenhouse gas emissions are methane. And well, what does the methane come from? Cows. And so, you know, it kind of also goes back to like a meat production issue and to what we push that makes money as well. So I I don't know. I feel like the was that was I correct or did I go off and misunderstand what you were talking about? I think that cow, like to say cows are to blame for our CO2 emissions, I, I, I don't think it's, no. but I'll say, I do think putting cows in factories and having these like mass producing factories, that is just horrible. Not only is it bad from all the methane from the cows, it's bad because, I mean, it's just inhuman. Like, and I know cows aren't humans, but like to, to just have them in this facility where they don't get any light. They can't touch grass. They have these miserable lights. Not only is the meat worth quality, not only is it much more likely to have these cows get infected with disease and bacteria, um, but it's also just so cruel and wrong. And I'm sure that if we had just grass fed beef, natural beef out in an environment, able to roam, able to shit and fertilize the ground. So we didn't have to use man-made artificial fertilizer, which I'm pretty sure in a lot of cases has led to poison running off into rivers and poisoning our waters. I, so I think it's more so the facility. And uh, I almost want to joke. It's like a psyop that we've been tricked into thinking the problem with the environment is cows. Cause I don't think it's the cows, but I do wholeheartedly agree. These factories are wrong and humane. And, uh, a big problem is we like put them into like just these tight spaces and then mass produce the cows. And like, I'm sure if you make enough cows, the methane will be bad, but I don't think this would even be up for debate. If we had these cows raised in pastures, we did it the right way. We didn't have to buy all this artificial fertilizer that has all these negative second and third order effects. And we just let the cows literally, you know, meander around and shit and, and then legalized psilocybin and, uh, you know, used it and studied it and learned how to harness it so we could help some of the depressed people in our society and decriminalized it because uh, just from personal experience, like it is so eye opening 
uh, and some, and it, you know, obviously I think it's a very important environment you're comfortable and, but like psilocybin is one of the least toxic drugs in the world. Like no one can, I think it can like really mess with people's ego and you can have an ego death. And it, if you take too much, it can be dangerous. But, uh, in terms of like what it is, is, is a toxin. It's not that it's like, it, you literally can't overdose on the stuff and it literally grows in cow shit. It's like, it's like, so I, I don't think cows are a problem per se, but I, I think these factories and these mass producing of uh, cows are. Yeah, I mean, well, you're right. Like livestock accounts for 37% of the U.S. emissions of methane. And of the 30%, uh, of the 37%, cows account for 82% of that. But that's not because of the cows themselves. You're right. It's because of the additives that the cows are given. It's because of the way that the cows are kept. And it's that's what the problem is. It's how we do our entire livestock industry. It's not the animals. So anyone watching this, please do not think that cows are destroying our earth because they're actually worshipped in some countries. No, that's a great point. I didn't even think about like what they feed the cows. Like I didn't even think that could be like, you're absolutely right. I'm sure if they were eating grass and they weren't purposely trying to bulk them up for maximum meat, it probably would reduce methane a ton on top of not mass producing them in a factory. The cows have four point. stomachs. Like, what do people expect? If you're going to feed them a ton of, like, chemicals and just shit, those four stomachs are going to produce four times the amount of just what is a normal person, animal. Like, it's... Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. And then we... I mean, not only you are what you eat, you are what you eat eats. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we're getting double hit with the seed oils because they give pigs and cows the seed oil extract and the feed and all this shit. And then on top of that, they're frying a lot of this shit in seed oils or putting it in. And it's in, and I love sauces. Like I've always been a big sauce guy. You know, I've been trying to transition off the seed oils, but I'm not going to lie. Like the sauces get me like I, I, I'm not ready to give like as much as I hate seed oil. I'm not ready to give up a lot of these sauces, but I, it's like. To make, you know, like I would have to literally make these sauces from scratch. You know, maybe I should look into that. Maybe that might be worthwhile. But like if I'm out at a restaurant or it's hard enough to avoid seed oils as is, but then I'm going to want a sauce and I'm not going to travel with the homemade sauce places. But <laughs> it's so frustrating to see. And it's like and big farming, big pharma. It's like all these in, big tech, like all these industries that. If they get too big, they just absolutely decimate the competition. And it seems there are so many positions where it's like, I saw such a perfect tweet the other day. It's like CEOs arguably have the least uh, or have the worst information in the company. And there's some great CEOs out there. So it's just in general. But you think like in a lot of these massive platforms, it goes through six layers of lies before it gets to the CEO. So the lowest person lies to their manager and then the manager lies to the director and then the director lies to their VP and then the VP lies to the CEO. So by the time it's gotten to the CEO, it's gone through five to six different iterations of lies and half truths as each person is trying to protect their job. And uh, obviously the best CEOs in the world, I'm sure have their methods or ways, or maybe they aggregate data online. So it's a little easier, you know, but, I do think there's a lot of truth in that. Like the more layers away you get from your business and the bigger some of these businesses become, you just get a lot of 
parasites in the business. A lot of people just, and, and I mean, we're all looking out for ourselves. We're all looking out for our bottom lines. But when these companies get too big, I, I think it's damn near impossible to make sure uh, everyone's on the same page. And then it's like, I'm not vying for some like CCP totalitarian style, like big brothers looking over your back, making sure you're doing your work. But I, I do think they're, the current system is not it at all. It, it seems uh, the managerial style is <laughs> just leads to people lying up the chain till it gets to the CEO in a lot of cases. No, it's super disconnected. It is super disconnected. I mean, like, think about like Walmart, you know, like, do you think the Walmart CEO really understands the people that are working $15 an hour there? I don't know. But like, it, there's so much of a disconnection in the way that things are produced, in the way that people think of a job, in the way that it, it's just, I don't know, that disconnection is really, I feel like you're right, like it's harmful almost too in that like by the time that it reaches the ceo you have no idea what's actually going on you really have no i mean let's say that you're an owner of you know a big chicken company for instance you have no idea what the heck they're feeding your chickens they have no idea really i mean unless you're a big brother watching which i don't know if that's what's going on but like if you are then that's a problem if you're not then that's a problem and so it's just like how do you how do you mitigate the situation then <laughs> yeah i saw a video on now this of uh them making feed and uh, like i'm pretty sure like someone got pissed in the video like hey you can't film this they're literally like shuffling garbage in like bags of like plastic of like food leftovers like lace potato chips and shit like that and they're grinding it up and putting it in the feed so then microplastics get eaten by the animals and then we eat the animals and it's like, part, part of me is like, I need to buy a farm so I can make sure that these animals aren't eating microplastics that have been getting in our system. And uh, these are the second and third order consequences that people don't think through that are very hard to quantify and measure, but that take place and just wreak havoc on all of us. I mean, infertility, gut issues, like you name it. And like these problems are stemming from the fact that uh, I think in today's fiat standard society, people are incentivized to have a higher and higher time preference. You know, I love the Michael Saylor example, who's obviously a huge Bitcoin bull of saying, say you want to buy an early retirement. Well, what can you do? You can buy a million dollars worth of U.S. treasuries yielding 5%. And then you get $50,000 annualized in the interest payment on this treasury over time. But now the interest on a U.S. treasury, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure, it's like near zero. And, and they're talking about raising it because inflation's running so hot. But you think about it, if inflation's at 8% and the U.S. treasury's yielding like 2%, I think it's somewhere around there right now, you're netting negative 6% per year on a nominal basis. So you're literally losing money. So it's like you, you can't even buy that anymore. Like you have to find something else to get cash flow, someone riskier, which is uh, A, the Federal Reserve's running out of tools to use to do their job, which is to, uh, what are their two mandates? I think it's like keep unemployment down and I, I guess keep inflation at 2%. I, I don't even know. I, I really do, do not have a, a high opinion of the central banks. 
if you haven't noticed. <laughs> but it's like, it just seems like this current standard, like we just want to keep kicking it down the road and someone else's problem and they'll deal with it. And I think that's led to a lot of businesses kind of looking the way they do because of the incentives of the world and the fact that uh, like being self-interest is not a bad thing. But the problem is when it gets taken to the extremes and you, you know, you start seeing malicious and manipulated and just absolutely uh, egregious things happening. I mean, I'm almost reminded of like a pig at a trough, just absolutely pigging out uh, and, and just replace that with uh, some of these big whatever um, platforms. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, it's very, there's no, yeah, there's no incentive. The fiat system is very, very, very tricky and complicated. And it's become so complex that like, I don't know, for me, like I blame my bank a lot for a lot of issues. And the thing is, is that they do definitely mess up. But here's the thing is like, if I had just a type of system where I was completely in control of all of my money, that would also give me more accountability. And it would take away this idea of like, it that self-interest is still there. And like, now I'm not putting the blame on any, I don't, I feel like it would also create just a stronger society in that then like, we're not dependent on this third party system that does mess up, but also is also just a place of our blame a lot because like it's there to be the middleman and we don't need that. Um, if I went out off a tangent. No, I was just going to say, it's like, we, we might need middlemen in some cases. As a matter of fact, we do need middlemen in a lot of cases, but it should be a free market. So if that middleman is not delivering the good or service to the standard we deem the price of that good or service to be, we could leave and take our business elsewhere. The problem is when there is only one middleman, right? You know, it's like banks are great. Like if I'm going to send a billion dollars, as much as I love Bitcoin, I'd want some help. I might hit up an Unchained Capital, a Casa Hoddle, some type of multi-sig if I had that kind of money to make sure I don't fuck up and fat finger and lose my Bitcoin forever because I sent it to the... So, so there are situations, and obviously banks in the US are going to deal with US dollars, but there are situations where we might want a middleman. But for a monetary network, for a system like that, I would believe with all my heart that future generations are going to look back and find it just comical that we had 12 unelected officials sitting around determining what the price of the global reserve currency was going to be like literally sitting around deeming interest rates to, to decide the cost of money, like what it uh, costs the interest on the debt to take out a loan to get that money. And why I like Bitcoin so much and not necessarily like, I think these other crypto projects might be cool or might have some potential, but I'm just not even worried about them right now. Like I, like I'm so just like not concerned with other crypto projects right now, because I think we need to fix the system of money. We need rules, not rulers. There should not be a single party in control, making decisions about money which is literally the lifeblood of our economy. It is like Michael Saylor says, it is the blood in the system. And inflate, I love his, um, use another one of his examples. It's like, 
when you put inflation in the system, it's like going and taking the blood out of an athlete before a big game. Like, and if you take out 2%, well, it's not that bad. And, you know, Keynesian economics, everyone's been taught who's in, a, you know, economics in college, like, oh, inflation's necessary because the government's this all-seeing being who knows best. But it's like, truth be told, we, we don't need inflation. Technology is going to lead us to a world of abundance. It's going to make everyone's lives easier in ways that we probably can't even imagine yet. But yeah. the only way we get there is if we have a system where there is rules and not rulers, where people have a where people have confidence. They, people can check the code. I mean, I run a Bitcoin node. I can see that the monetary policy is fixed, that there is no inflation that every four years the block subsidy is going to get uh, cut in half so the miners will receive less and less Bitcoin. And you can just audit. You can see there's 21 million Bitcoin. It's truly scarce. Anyone can do it with uh, an internet connection and, and, and a will. And uh, under the current system, it's like, good luck uh, auditing the Fed. Good luck seeing what their monetary policy is. We just got to wait for these 12 unelected officials to come out and tell us what they're going to do. And... Uh, they're playing a very dangerous game and i hope the the transition to a bitcoin standard is very smooth and we don't see some just absolutely egregious weimar germany shit but i do think if uh if they're not careful that that's what's going to happen and it's and it's a shame in the sense that like the us it's like we just got threw up a softball and it's like all we gotta do is embrace bitcoin and, uh, and and I hope we can do it and slowly have a transition to a Bitcoin standard where people kind of see how how much BS goes on in this fiat system and slowly Bitcoin like sucks up all this capital looking for a home. Um, and, and like I said, I just hope it's not like a Weimar Germany situation where I'm disgustingly rich because I knew about Bitcoin, but now all I can buy is bullets and guns because it's just absolute mayhem. And, and I don't think that's going to happen. I, I'm hopeful for, for what the world could become. But I do think uh, the Fed is playing a very, very risky game. And I, I mean, like people like to say in the Bitcoin community, it's just math. And uh, Fiat is programmed to debase. It, it is backed by nothing besides the full faith and credit of the government that backs said Fiat ever since we went off the gold standard in 1971. No, it's a complete monopoly. We push a monopoly system, Fiat system the government in general, everything that our society is based on right now has some sort of monopoly. I mean, even with this Twitter takeover, everyone, if you have a single person in charge, if you have a very small group of people in charge, they will obviously, because they're human, have a specific amount of opinions that then will leak into how they do everything else. And so like, it, that's what the beauty of Bitcoin is. And that's what the beauty of a decentralized system is is that you're not having just one single because no person knows everything if we say that we know everything or if we go into saying you know i know the certain fact things change every day and so like it people continue to learn and if you take a step back and you're like okay wait a second i don't understand everything which is very rare for people to do because it's uncomfortable then you start to realize how much a decentralized system would actually bring out more productivity and it would bring out more of a better society because you're right like it takes away the monopolies it takes away those very 
singleized opinions and value systems that then leak into what we see as our value systems. It just it will create a more open and critical thinking world. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll create businesses where like people are forced to create create the most value and try and provide the best service because otherwise they're going to go out of business because their customers will take their business elsewhere. It'll take away these monopolies. It's like capitalism, as far as we can tell, looking throughout history, is the best damn system. The United States has been the most dominant empire because we have the best ability for people to generate wealth and prosperity for themselves. And clearly, like I said, you know, we're brilliant, but we're also dumb. But like people want to come to the U.S. because there is still that hope. There's, you know, it's like... Uh, I saw a great thing. I forget what, I don't even know if it was on Twitter, probably on Twitter, <laughs> talking about how uh, a lot of people still go to the U.S. for investments over China because there just aren't the laws in place to protect your capital in China. The CCP can seize that property anytime. And I guess technically any government can, but it, just looking throughout our track record, the United States has the clearest private property laws. So people understand that, you know, if they have private property here, um, unless they are explicitly targeted under eminent domain, it is damn near impossible to take that private property from them if they don't want it to be taken. So having a system of capitalism, I genuinely do believe is the best system. I just think the problem is, like you said, when these monopolies get formed and uh, no matter how shit the service is, you got it. I mean, think of the DMV. When was the last time anyone had a good experience? And this isn't the shit on DMV workers. But when was the last time anyone had a good experience at a DMV? And, and if you did, you're a psychopath. <laughs> Who goes like, good for you, I guess. But like, I have never had a good experience at the DMV. It's always been a long process, a pain in the ass. And I think it's because it's like we're mandated to deal with them. It's a government. We, we are mandated to deal with them if we want to do stuff. And uh I know to some degree we do need rules in place and laws to follow, but it seems like I'm very concerned about the U.S. pulling away from its free market capitalistic system. It seems like a lot is manipulated. And as far as I can tell, it seems like Bitcoin is the only thing that could get us back to prosperity and peace so we can stop exporting U.S. dollars and uh, military equipment in, in the form of defense or Whatever, whatever you want to call it, protection. Yeah, your reference to the DMV especially is very, it's a very good example because you're right in that our system kind of has like a box that we have to put people through. You know, like if you think about going to the DMV, it is such a perfect system for both you when you go and for the person working there because they are now so detached from their job and from what's going, I mean, maybe they love working at the DMV. I don't know. But when you're in a box and you have to continuously, you know, go by a set of rules that don't really actually, they shouldn't be as general as they are. And they are. And then, you know, you have to just keep living by that set of rules, even though every person has different types of situations and different systems and just different circumstance. It, it creates just a problem society. It really does. Like, you know, like there's a story where this mom went and she was about 10 minutes late to enroll her son and into like a school. And she goes 
to see the person who was just the receptionist who's sitting at the desk dealing with it. And all she could say was, no, sorry, you're 10 minutes late. Like you can't enroll him. And the mom starts crying hysterically because she can't, she can't enroll him anywhere else. Like this was the only school that was free. She can't afford a private school. And instead of helping her, and even though the man right next to her is actually the one who could have let her do it, like the man next to the person handling the situation was actually in charge of it all. He just sat by and she also just sat by living by these set of rules that really she had no idea what this woman was going through. And it's all because of this government imposed box. No, man, the system literally dehumanizes people. I mean, I mean, that's heartbreaking. And, and, I, and you reminded me of a really good point, And that's that it's a two way system. You know, I think these DNB workers probably do have to deal with a lot of psychopaths and a lot of very just rude people. You know, I was in uh, city council the, or not city council, like the city hall. Um, I, I think like renewing my or doing something, I forget what. And uh, the woman next to me was just being so rude to the DMV worker. And the DMV worker was like, I'm thinking to myself, like, this lady's crazy if she thinks she's going to get what she wants by being rude to the DMV. Be like, anytime I go in the DMV, I'm like, thank you so much. Oh, my God. Yes, please. Oh, thank you. Like, you know, like, I, I am on my best behavior because I know, and like, the quicker I can get out of there, the easier it'll be. Like, I'm not trying to fuck around. I just want to do whatever I have to do at that time. So I do think some of those workers probably get jaded just because they're dealing with very rude, loud, and obnoxious people. Um, but at the same time, that like that story you just told, it's like, my God, like the system does dehumanize people. Like anyone with a little empathy, I'm sure could have understood that this mother's just trying, you know, to get her kid enrolled in school and to, uh, not do it because she's 10 minutes late, probably dealing with a thousand other things yeah. being a mom. It's like your heart just goes out to that woman. So, so it is a two way street, but uh, it's like, you know, as a lot of politicians who've just gotten so wealthy through kickbacks or other handshake deals that we'll never know about are sitting in the beach chilling. You have hard, decent working people going through shit like you just described and it's uh it's so frustrating and i think what these politicians fail to realize is like you can only kick the can down the road so far before shit hits the fan and blow up in your face and that's why i said i want to see a smooth transition to a bitcoin standard not one where it's 10 years out and I'm spending all my Bitcoin trying to buy guns and ammo just to protect me and my family versus like, just because, you know, it's like people can only take so much. And uh, I am for capitalism, but we can't let monopolies like BlackRock, Vanguard, the government itself in some ways, and uh, big tech, big pharma, big farm, like, I don't I don't think big farming is a thing, but I know Bill Gates and a lot of other people are buying up the farmland and pushing these like beyond meat products, which is also not, that are filled with soybean oil and all this other shit, which is like like that's not vegetable. You know what I mean? It's not like a, a healthy diet. No, it's true. I'm not allowed to eat it. Yes, I mean, I'm sure that shit would be horrible for your, it's like literally motor oil in the shit, like vegetable oil fuels some cars, like, things like, that. like, a doctor, like that's crazy.
They're literally frying our food in motor oil for cars. It's scary. No, that's so, I can't eat oil. I mean, if you think about it also, like for people with chronic diseases or even a regular person, almost everything has something called an emulsifier in it, which is like a soy lectin or sometimes it's a different type of lectin milk. But it, that in itself is meant to irritate your stomach. Like that you should not be eating. Maltodextrin creates irritation in your stomach. There are just so many different chemicals that we put into our stuff and that's in everything. Uh, Trader Joe's, you know, I'll give them a shout out because they do have some products that don't have any of it in it, but it's rare. But everywhere else that I've gone thus far, it will always have some sort of seed oil, some sort of chemical that I can't have because it's supposed to actually hurt you more than help you. And it's just, it's crazy. It's really, I keep going back to the word crazy because I'm just so dumbfounded with how society is functioning right now. Yeah. I think that ties into like the central planning and like what the government decides to subsidize. And, and it's like, to some degree, like I do think we, we need someone to like build the roads in, but I think the private markets can typically do that better. And it's just like, give people a set of rules and clear parameters and let them build, let life and people flourish rather than try and subsidize corn or other shit so you can get a fat kickback and <laughs> but it, i mean it, it, it all goes back to incentives and it's like i, I love talking to my grandparents cause like you should run for politics and i'm like i don't want to get corrupted by the system like as good of a person as i think i am like i'm sure i could be coerced and co like if you're telling me i get a million dollars because i can do this one thing that doesn't seem that bad and I don't think through the second and third order effects of it because I'm going to get a million dollars. Maybe I give in. Um, and, and I'm grateful that I kind of went down this Bitcoin rabbit hole because I, because I think I can see that now. So, so I'll give credit to the politicians in the sense there are a lot of good ones out there, hopefully. And uh, I don't think they're evil or bad people. I just think in today's society, we've stopped thinking through these second and third order effects and it's caused a lot of harm that, just isn't measurable and uh is only seen by people who take the time to kind of study and think through these things which is unfortunate for our society and in the general public in a lot of ways yeah no i mean again like it all loops back to the time system that we're functioning on how we don't even take the time to critically think how we don't really we're not incentivized to we're just very dependent and what's scary is we're becoming more and more and more and more dependent. And so it's just, hopefully this Bitcoin will break it. Break create more independence. Create more merit. <laughs> a merit-based society rather than a society based on trends. Which, listen, like, I, I get it. Like, trends are so fun. If you think of TikTok trends, that is great. If you think of, you know, there are other trends that people get on in society that then, like, help them become really big. But at the same time, like, this is uh, most of the time that doesn't have to do with merit. So it's, yeah, John Galt, man. John Galt. Yeah. Hey, man. Well, Ariel, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And, and I'm going to keep the tradition of uh, always asking a question at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I'll go first because I, I got one on the top of mind. You can ask me one. My question for you would be, what are some activities you're doing to lower your time preference? Because I, I do agree a low time preference is uh, 
what is going to bring a peaceful and prosperous society. And we need to be incentivizing people to have low time preference activities like saving and other stuff. And uh, obviously in the current system with 8% inflation, no one is incentivized to save. So what, what are some things you are doing to uh, lower your time preference? So I'm saving. <laughs> that is a huge one. <laughs> and Satoshi's, I hope, <laughs> not fiat. <laughs> no, you know, I am I'm trying to figure out, you know, the cryptocurrency space and I'm trying to really understand the Bitcoin. And I keep saying the Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, I think that in itself is going to help with the time. But then also separately, you know, taking time away from technology because everything is based on technology. Like, you know, at my old apartment, um, we had like a vacuum that you just put on your phone and you'd be like, okay, like clean vacuum, it would clean. Like, it's like all of those things are just, I don't know, like I get it. It's an easier world, but at the same time, like my time abilities and my time preference, it makes my brain shrink. It feels like it's like, I'm becoming so much more unproductive and dependent on things. And I'd much rather put the time in save you know, definitely focus in on things that like are going to ultimately help in the long run. Uh, unless I misunderstood time preference. Are you no, talking about- No, business? you got you got it spot on and you're right. Like tech disconnects us in a lot of ways. And uh, sure, there are some activities that it's convenient and makes it easier. But I think there's a lot of things like even cleaning and cooking and like, those are low time preference activities that make your life better and that we shouldn't try and disconnect from with Uber Eats or Robo Vacuum Cleaner app, which I didn't even know was the thing, but it's really the thing. <laughs> um, and quick ship, I'll say, you should take the time to educate. Like that's the most important thing. Like once you gain the conviction to save in Bitcoin, because I mean, this thing swings clearly all over the place. Um, but the way I look at it is I like to save everything in Bitcoin and then I keep fiat to pay my bills, pay my rent, whatever, spending money if I know I'm going to spend it. But why I am so convinced, like from the most first principle levels, is because Bitcoin is truly scarce and fixed at a 21 million supply. I've seen, I, I mean, I run a note, I, like you can look at the code and see that there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And in fiat, it just, I mean, the government printed 7 trillion and, uh, Hater love Elon. I think it's so funny seeing people be like, he could have spent the $44 billion to end world hunger. It's like, if $44 billion ended world hunger, what the hell did the government do with the trillions they printed? And why did that not fix world hunger? I mean, like, so I obviously do the education and Bitcoin, not crypto. Hopefully, crypto one day. But why I think Bitcoin is so important is because. If we tokenize everything, it doesn't mean shit if the system is still broken and rotted from the inside and under a Bitcoin standard with a truly fixed supply, with a truly scarce asset, with truly permissionless and censorship resistant money. I, I think people could build a life of wealth and prosperity. And uh, giving feels good. Like people like giving. Giving is a good thing. Um, but when you don't know when your next meal is coming, no one in their right mind is going to be giving because they're trying to hoard resources and account for themselves and their own family rather than uh, share with others because the more uncertain you make the future, the, sh the, sh 
the higher people's time preference becomes uh, from the most basic level. No, you're spot on. You're spot on. And that, I guess, kind of stems back to my question with you, which is, you know, how are you keeping a low time preference and how do you think that you're going to do it in the future if you're really, if we had converted completely to a Bitcoin system, you know, what do you think it would look like? I think it'd be a much happier world. I genuinely believe that in my core, most Bitcoiners I've met and talked with, um, you can just tell they, 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 they are good people. They are genuine people They they want a better world. And to be honest with you, um, I, I constantly need to keep improving my time preference. Cause I, I do think some of those be like, fuck it. I want to do the, the high time preference activity rather than the low time preference activity. Um, but I'm trying to just instill habits like, you know, going on a date night once a week with my girlfriend, playing soccer once a week, running on the days I'm work from home and going to the gym the days before I, I go into work. And trying to think like life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And uh, saving in Bitcoin is a low time preference activity because because a, you know, it's more fiat put into Bitcoin. So um it, it you know grows the value of it obviously i'm just a plebe i don't have much money compared to a lot of these giants in it um but it's just like it's like that circle and i think people who get into bitcoin and take the time to educate themselves after really putting in the work 99.99 percent seem to uh just become convinced this is the answer to a lot of society's woes and then they start saving in it and then they start evangelizing their friends like i constantly do with everyone kubo was giving me shit the other day he's like dude you gotta stop like i, I can't listen to any more bitcoin <laughs> like talk <laughs> like i you know like I, he's right like i do sometimes get carried away but i think it's like that right there is what makes me so bullish on it the fact that like someone gets in they start evangelizing everyone and i mean now we're starting to see nation states fall like the central african republic uh literally just adopted its second country in the world to adopt this legal tender and it's just this game theory. And uh, I love doing stuff like this. Um, like nothing against my my fiat job. But like this truly makes me happy and like provides meaning. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good with my life. Whereas like in my fiat job, the second I don't receive a paycheck, I'd be out that door. You know what I mean? Like I, I need to make money in order to survive and pay my bills and feed my family and friends and I need to keep doing stuff like this because this is a good low time preference activity. And I, I don't I'm not, I don't have the biggest following much around when people watch this, but like even if just one person watches this and takes the time to go down the rabbit hole, that person could maybe orange pill someone very wealthy and then they put money into Bitcoin and then that person and then maybe they want to give back. And uh, if Bitcoin does what I think it is, I really do hope um I don't get jaded and I, I give back and I maybe I open that uh that uh libertarian coffee shop I was talking about earlier in the episode. Yes, please. I'll be your first customer, man. Uh, <laughs> day and night. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm ha I would love to have you in there and uh hopefully I won't have to use big tech to advertise it. It'll just be like this Bitcoin thing where Bitcoiners love it and you come and 
word of mouth is what makes the business successful, not social media algorithms. Exactly. Yeah. Those algorithms are so structured. Oh man. Well, it was so good talking to you as always. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, thank you so much for coming on and thank you to anyone who tuned in until next time, guys.